Good morning, everyone. My name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. This halo thing is so much better. So they, I, there's the, the first service I was wearing the mic, and it, I felt like subconscious all the way through that it was going to fall off. Thank you, Jason, for bringing me. This thing's called a halo, which feels, uh, I don't know. So lots of stuff in the service that we're going to dive right in. Uh, we just recently started through the Sermon on the Mount, mountains, made out of plywood, wherever you're at. They look wonderful. Um, last week, Pastor Jack kind of opened up with the Beatitudes or the blessings. He talked about how they're paradoxical, and they are proverbial, and they are progressive. And he unpacked the first blessing for us. We are truly blessed when we realize that we are spiritually poor, when we realize that we are needy. And today, we'll be continuing with the next two blessings. What does it look like to be truly blessed? Matthew 5, 4 and 5 is where we're going to camp out. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I want to take a moment, and I'm going to kneel and pray. If you would like to join me, you're welcome to. I know for some of your knees, maybe it's not good, but I'm going to take a moment and pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. We are your children. We are kids of grace. We have been forgiven. And uh, we love your word, God. Would you transform us, the preaching of your word? Would you use me as your vessel today? Fill me up. Uh, Holy Spirit, work in hearts so that we can all be built up in truth, challenged and equipped, and sent out. I love you. Receive the offering. In Jesus' name, amen. So, morning. In my preparations for preaching, uh, I started to ask, what, what is this morning? What are we supposed to mourn over? Are we supposed to actually like pursue mourning? Or is it just situational mourning? Because like, hard things in life come up, so we need to, to mourn those things. Is this mourning over injustice, over brokenness in the world, or the loss of a loved one? I mean, that's often what we think about, right? When we think about mourning, we think of loss of a loved one. That's when we, we grieve, the bereavement. And, and honestly, I've experienced very little loss in my life. Um, we still have our parents and my in-laws. Uh, my mom's side, I, I don't even remember her parents, to be honest. I was so young. And then on my dad's side, they lived long, full lives. And uh, even the memorial services were marked with, with hope and, and faith and love. So I'm thankful for that. And uh, I'm not sure why you chose me to, to preach this one on morning. I don't feel qualified for that. But I will have to tell you, as I dove in, I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to preach about morning. I've done lots of funerals, so I can, I can share about morning and what that looks like. But it was interesting because all the scholars and preachers that I looked at consistently agreed that Jesus' main focus here was mourning over our sin. So I had to like change gears, change preparations, and, and think this through. So, and it's easy to see in the progression of these beatitudes. Pastor Jack shared about being poor in spirit last week. Those who are poor in spirit, they know they're needy. We know we're spiritually needy, not, not so much physically needy, but spiritually needy, we know we are. Those who are spiritually needy recognize that they're sinners in need of saving, that God has this perfect holy standard that we don't meet, we're wretched, we're sinners, 
we are poor. When we grasp the gravity of our depravity, it leads us to spiritual mourning. So, diving right in, if you're following along with the, the notes, we are truly blessed when we mourn. Jack likes to come up with all those creative things that are easy to remember, and when we talk, and sometimes like, ah, you know what, I'm just going to, so the, the outline is really simple, nothing real creative or memorable about it, but that's the way I roll. So, I'll, and I want to actually share a, a scripture that goes along with this really well. James 4, 8 through 10, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. I can't, and I'm smiling as I'm saying this. It feels weird. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Here we see a command to seek out this mourning. Be wretched and mourn and weep over your sin. So here's a quick clarifying statement. You can tell that we're in for a really encouraging sermon, and you're going to be built up. So if you came in here and you were thinking one of these, it's God's truth, and sometimes it's steps on my own toes, steps on all our toes. We don't apologize for that. I'm learning that as Christians in America, we lack in this area of mourning over our sin. I know personally that, that I lack, and that I've got a long ways to go in this mourning over my sin. Growing up in a, in a Christian family, I knew I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And uh, I was what a lot of parents, including my parents, called like a good kid. I didn't, I didn't go party with my class. I didn't cuss. But I, I did do that. Like I lied some and I cheated some. I remember these things. I remember thinking, I'm a sinner. I've done these things. I obviously need a Savior. But it wasn't until I wrestled with pornography in college that I really felt mourning over my sin and grief and sorrow and God I am a, I am a wretched sinner save me my freshman year of college I dove deep into that and it was a secret sin it tore me up inside I have no doubt statistically speaking that there's people in here that, that understand what I'm saying I remember being broken before the Lord hating my sin and grieving that feeling of just being stuck the Holy Spirit's conviction was heavy on me and I experienced a godly sorrow over my sin. It was the kind of sorrow described in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance, which leads to salvation and leaves no regrets, and worldly sorrow brings death. That godly sorrow was a gift. It was mourning that led to repentance and eventually to freedom. I was truly blessed to mourn over my sin. It was a good kind of morning. You might even call it good morning. I know. It's, my daughter's in here somewhere, like the cheesiness of dad jokes. So when, next time you say good morning to somebody, think we also should be wishing each other good morning, that we should be mourning over our sins. That's too much. So Paul used some strong words in his second letter to uh, the church in Corinth. In this letter, he talks about a previous letter that, that caused the church grief. And he says this, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. And now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful, 
as God intended. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. Worldly sorrow brings death. You became sorrowful as God intended. God intends us to mourn over our sin. Have you thought about that? God wants us to mourn over our sin. So some of us have admitted we are sinners and confess that we fall short of God's glory and I need a Savior. But perhaps some of us have only admitted and not really grieved or mourned over our sin. See, God wants to produce a hatred in our hearts towards sin, a disgust. Spurgeon once said this, If you can look on sin without sorrow then you have never looked upon Christ. If you can look on sin without sorrow, then you have never looked upon Christ. I'm sure there's someone here that's, that's still struggling with a specific sin that has never possibly ever mourned over it, maybe just admitted. Perhaps you've mourned the consequences, right? Because we, we can get with that. Mourning the consequences of when things are hard because of our sin. Um, maybe this, the causes, the, the effects that it's had in our family, in our job, those things we can mourn over. But maybe some of us simply haven't grieved over our sin against a holy God. Maybe God wants to bring healing and comfort to you, but he's waiting for true mourning over your sin. Here's another quote that I ran across. The saddest thing in the world is not a sorrowing heart, but a heart that is incapable of grief over sin, for it is without grace. I'm going to read that one more time. This is countercultural. The saddest thing in the world is not a sorrowing heart, but a heart that is incapable of grief over sin, for it is without grace. God used Paul to bring about godly sorrow in the church in Corinth. Maybe some of you have experienced grief um, from something someone was said to you. Perhaps it was done in great gentleness. Perhaps it was, it was really harsh, and later you realized there's some truth in this that I need to hear. I've felt the wound from a friend that can be trusted, like Proverbs 27, 6 says. I felt the gentleness of a brother in Christ come to me and say, this is an area of life that, that I think you need to repent in. And it's never fun, but God uses people in our lives to bring that godly sorrow. Surprisingly, my kids don't often respond. I gotta be careful because they're in here extremely well to me pointing out sin in their lives. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. So sometimes we force our kids to say sorry. They're not really sorry. There's really no grief about it, but we got them to say sorry. <laughs> if I could somehow do the, do the work of the Holy Spirit and convicting, it's not my job. But I'd love to see that, that same kind of grief. But I get it. I get it. So just f kids, since you're listening, or maybe you're listening, maybe you're not. I was a kid too, and I recall not caring that much, caring about the consequences, and it was a big deal. But uh, I, know, I know what it's like to not necessarily grieve. I'm really not that sorry, but I'm, you're mad at me, and I'm sorry about that, and I wish that that would quit. I get it. I was there at one point. So yes, church. We should mourn over our sin. In fact, as I studied, I came to understand that the language here, it doesn't refer to a once and done mourning. This is meant to be a, a continual mourning, a pattern of mourning over sin, and therefore a pattern of receiving God's comfort. 
In our walk with the Lord, the Holy Spirit continues to sanctify us. Holy Spirit continues to reveal sin in my life that I need to confess. God knows I couldn't handle all my sin at once. Can you imagine? Maybe it's just me. Like every single sin that I'm struggling with and all the good that I've left undone. If God were to convict me of all that at one time, I'd be overwhelmed. I would give up. But luckily, there's this whole sanctifying process and God brings, hey, you know what? You've been struggling with this for a while. I haven't brought it up yet, but can you sense that now? So... God is transforming us into the image of Jesus. He uses spiritual mourning, and I believe that we do this in cooperation with God. Some of you may know that I've been doing seminary classes, and I just finished my eighth class and turned in my two projects on Friday. Woohoo! And I got like a week break. So, family, you got me for a week, and then we're back to the grind again. This was a spiritual formations class, which I've really enjoyed, and I'm actually doing it with like eight other FEC pastors. Such godly. It's it's so much fun to have these conversations and read through these books, have these discussions. But this semester, we did what's called a genogram. Has anybody done a genogram or heard what a genogram is? There's a few in here. Yeah. So think a family tree, but the intentionality is to really study and prayerfully think through what generational sins have I inherited? (laughs) Am I struggling with? What generational blessings am I receiving? What relational dynamics and intentions are there? Uh, This was a good project. I say good for me to recognize my tendency to struggle with some things. So parents, you might be watching this later. So it's weird to air some of your challenges, but maybe you're not watching this. Uh, My dad's a bit of a workaholic, and uh, which is it's good because I've inherited a good work ethic. But sometimes I can find my identity in what I do. That's a constant temptation. And in this genogram project and mapping out, oh look, there's been some really hard workers and that's been maybe a struggle with some of them. Um, Also a a blessing and a heritage of faith that's been passed down to me. Thank you. Um, It was a good project and I also worked with my wife a little bit. I even asked her, hey, what kind of things do you see? That's hard to hear, but opening myself up to, okay, what, what have I received from my parents? What am I like? And what good things also, don't just share the the challenges. Um, But it's also shown me that I really need to get better at times of self-examination. I'm just not good at that. This whole class, not just the genogram project, but all this is I need to do more at at reflection and uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring up specific sins that I struggle with and to mourn over those. In fact, I, I think sometimes... God even puts our, on our hearts to mourn for the sins of others, or even the, like the sins of the nation, uh, the, the millions of babies that have been aborted, the, the racial injustice, these things. I think sometimes God calls us to mourn, not just our own sin, but the sins of the world. This is really an area that I'm growing in. Okay, great. Kyle, thanks for to be a church that mourns. And the answer is yes. We should mourn over our sin, but that's not the end. It's not It's not just the mourning, because those who mourn will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning over our sin produces comfort. It magnifies the grace, the mercy, the love, the forgiveness of our Savior, of our Lord. When we grieve our sin before the Lord and remember the forgiveness He's provided, a great weight is lifted off of our shoulders. He truly does turn mourning into dancing. Is anybody else ever experienced that? That just the laying down, I'm struggling with this, and then I'm just, the next thing I know, I'm dancing. Maybe I'm 
more charismatic than some of you, but like literal dancing, and not the way the kids use literal anymore, because everybody says literal, and they actually mean figuratively, but they still say literally. I don't get that. They keep on using that word. I don't think it means what they think it means. People are paying attention. So, when I've truly seen my sin in light of God's holiness and mourned over it, uh, it has brought an incredible comfort of the forgiveness that he provides. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. I'm not sure that there's a greater comfort to know how lost I am, how messed up and wretched and depraved I am, but then how awesome God is, how incredible his forgiveness is. From being that poor and needy to being that loved and belonging, I don't think there's a greater comfort than what God gives Now, while I said the scholars seem to agree that this text is primarily over our sin about mourning, we know that God comforts those who mourn in all sorts of ways. So I want to speak to that a little bit. Psalm 34, 18, God is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Matthew 11, 28, Jesus invites us, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. We have that hanging up in our living room with a a beautiful picture in the scriptures underneath it, a great reminder that we can come to him anytime when we're broken, when we're tired, when we yell at each other, which we do sometimes in our house. (laughs) Surprise. God invites us to come to him and take on his light and easy yoke. We sang earlier that God turns mourning into dancing. He gives beauty for ashes. He gives comfort to those who mourn. This comes straight out of Isaiah 61, which we've read often when we sing that song, Graves in the Gardens. God wants to comfort those who lose loved ones, who feel alone, who feel abandoned, who feel trampled on, who feel despair, depression. God wants to comfort. God is a God of comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, great passage I've meditated on a lot over the years. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I think there's something really beautiful about being comforted by God and then how God uses that, the comfort that we've received to be able to minister to other people. So I'm not great at at ministering and comforting those who might be going through uh, a divorce or maybe parents are going through a divorce. Um, I'm not great at comforting those that have lost a loved one from cancer. I just haven't walked that road. I haven't walked that journey. But I'm pretty decent at comforting those who have gone through some really hard church things. Some of you might know, because I've shared it before, we went through an ugly, massive church split in Nebraska where I was on staff. We were like a church of 600 and then 200 post split and a new church in town and walk through Walmart. You're like, oh, I can't go down that aisle. I don't want to run into anybody. And God has brought so much healing, so much comfort. We mourned. I, I couldn't believe that the church could be that messy and that ugly. We mourned, and I found comfort in God's sovereignty and who he is, that nothing ever surprises him, that he's good, he's faithful, he works all things for the good of those who love him. And that comfort I've been able to share with some other people who have gone through some hard church things. So church... Don't let the comfort that you receive end with you. God has way more 
and plan for the comfort that you've received. So ask yourselves, how has God comforted me in hard times? And then look around you. What are people going through? What hard things are they going through that I've experienced comfort for before? And how can I walk alongside them? I've got one last thought on God's comfort that I want to share. So we're comforted in this life, but like the fullness of comfort we have yet to experience. Living in this broken world, we will always experience hard things. There will always be mourning. The ultimate comfort comes at death or Christ's return for those who are in Christ. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. In heaven, every last bit of mourning will be completely redeemed. This comfort ultimately comes through a perfect relationship with God. So my relationship with God, although it's been reconciled, there's still brokenness, there's still issues with my sin. He's perfect. He's got his end taken care of for sure. But that relationship will be made perfect in heaven. And that's, that's the ultimate comfort that I look forward to. All right, let's look at meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We are truly blessed in our meekness, for we will inherit the earth. Now, I have to admit, maybe some of you are like wordy people. Do you use meekness in your common day language? Anybody use meekness? I, I don't. So, but maybe some people, no? Like, I'm, I'm waiting for hands. Does anybody use the word meek? Apparently not. Okay, so, which is why we got to unpack the word, right? Some of your translations might say gentle. Some of them might say humble. And these are countercultural, right? This is not what our world, our culture glorifies or celebrates. Our culture tries to tell us how good we are. We're good. It's all good. Culture says believe in yourself. Jesus said believe in God, believe also in me. Our culture looks at strengths and boasting in strengths and celebrates that. And Paul said he boasts in his weakness because God's grace and power are magnified in that. Now, I have to be careful here because meekness is not equated with weakness. It sounds like it. I guess some of us associate that word maybe just because it sounds like weakness. Meekness and weakness (coughs) are not the same thing. Uh, The best definition that I came across was power under control. Power under control. The same word here is actually used in taming of animals. So like a wild horse being, being tamed of its wild nature so that it can be used for other things. I think of, now dad, if you're watching this, um, my dad's a big car guy and uh, he has a Chevelle, a 67 Chevelle with a four speed 396. It's got like almost 400 horsepower. So it's super fun to drive. Now, I did, I did grow up actually on a Toyota. Remember the Toyota in Toy Story? That's like, that, so we had license plates in, in the bottom for like a floorboard because it was all rusted out. That's the five-speed that I grew up on, and there was no, no squealing. Well, if you drive a manual, you know you can actually squeal it in any, any, any vehicle, even something that doesn't have power. But the Chevelle had power, and it was fun. But you had to drive it way different. It was like, I learned how to drive a stick shift, but then you get in that, and this is way different. There's so much power here, I don't know how to control it. But it is pretty cool because you can, 
you can squeal at all four gears. You're going, going like 60 and shift it into fourth, squeal it again. That's pretty fun. Power under control. For some reason, that's the analogy I came up with. Think of like the, the sports car, the supercar that's got tons of power. And if you've ever seen it, there's some videos out there like the, I'd say kid, maybe it's not a kid, but somebody gets in a Lamborghini for the first time and within a block, they've crashed it already because there's so much power and they don't know. It's like untamed. It's power that is not in check. It's power that's not under control. Okay, meekness, power under control. Meekness is also the opposite of vengeance. Meekness is patient in affliction and suffering. Meekness does not quickly defend itself. Those who are meek turn the other cheek. They pray for those who persecute them. They don't always expect to be treated with the respect they deserve. One of the greatest examples of meekness, obviously Jesus, but specifically Jesus on the cross. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus was completely righteous, had committed no sin, but was suffering a criminal's death. Yet he did not retaliate. They mocked him, they spit on him, he remained silent. That's strength under control. That's meekness. Now, meekness is also not without passion or anger, but those passions and angers are under control. The meek know the proper time to be angry and when not to be angry. The one who is meek has controlled anger. He's angry not about things that happen to him, but sometimes righteous anger on, on wrongs done to others. Jesus was meek, and yet he flipped the tables in the temple. Some righteous anger. The meek person is gentle and mild in his own cause, though he may be a lion in God's cause or sticking up for others. Meekness is power under control through submission. We submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We submit ourselves to God's will. We submit ourselves to God's word. This is from James 1.21. This is the same word here. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Rece- receiving the scripture in meekness means submitting ourselves to its authority, like a wild animal, submitting itself to its master as it is being tamed. So we too submit ourselves to God's authority, to his word. In meekness, we submit ourselves to God in hard situations, recognize God's sovereignty and that he can be trusted and that he's working through hard things. The meek accept God's dealing with them without grumbling. Guilty, grumbling sometimes, right? They know that God is shaping them through their situation. In this sense, the meek are teachable. Without meekness, power can turn into abuse. Some of us have probably seen that. Unchecked power, untamed power can lead to abusive power. Sadly, even some great Bible teachers have not remained meek. They have not had their power in check. This too makes me mourn. There's a proverb that's become popular that is actually from Stan Lee's Spider-Man comics books. I think you'll, you'll know this. With great power comes great responsibility. Kind of makes me think of meekness. Great power comes great responsibility. This really is an echo of the wisdom of Jesus from Luke 12, 48. He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. 
And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Strength and power must remain meek and in submission to God. And meekness, like other Beatitudes, it builds itself upon the other Beatitudes. After we've wrestled with being poor in spirit and needy, and after we've mourned over our sin, a little bit easier to be meek. A man can never be meek unless he realizes that he is poor, that he is poor in spirit and sees himself as a wretched sinner in need of grace. <clears throat> you can actually grow in meekness by cultivating these other beatitudes. And I should remind us, I think this is helpful, like we can strive all we want to produce these things and live this blessed life, but this is a Holy Spirit work. I can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We can try to be gentle, humble, meek. The Holy Spirit, God within us, is, is the one that's shaping us that will produce that fruit in us. On a side note, I do want to point out that Pastor Dave preached. So Pastor Dave, our founding pastor, he's not here today. He's preaching somewhere else. But he preached on meekness back in late, uh, late November, last Sunday of November. So if you want to dive in deeper to meekness, he did an awesome job to the point where I thought, I'm not going to try to go real deep. He's, yeah, Dave, Kyle, I thought, nope, not going not gonna to try that. He did a great job. So you can like back on the website if you want to hear a whole sermon on meekness. Now, like mourning, not being the end, but God's comfort is, so meekness is also rewarded with inheritance. Earlier in the service, Pastor Jack read from Galatians 4. I'm going to read it again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If you're in Christ, we are heirs. And heirs get an inheritance. As God's children, as kids of grace, we are co-heirs with Jesus of this glorious inheritance. We've been adopted through Christ's work on the cross, and now we look forward to a glorious inheritance. On Easter Sunday, Pastor Jack preached from Second uh, Peter, First Peter, First Peter, and the whole the living hope. And verse four says, uh, "We've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading." kept in heaven for you. As God's children, poor, needy, and meek, we will inherit the earth. We will inherit the earth made new. The powerful and the cruel seem like they run the earth for the most part these days, but eventually the meek will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21 describes a new heaven, a new earth where God and man live in perfect relationship with one another. And then Second Peter 3, I want to share this scripture as well. Since all things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Grace. We've been called to be poor in spirit, recognizing our needs. We've been called to mourn. And I hope you'll join me in that challenge and you 
have permission to even keep me accountable. You should be somewhat close to me if you're going to keep me accountable, though. So, like, if you're just, if I don't even recognize your face, hold off on that. <laughs> Clarify. Join me in, in the self-reflection that, that God would work in us and, and bring sports, spiritual mourning where we need it. And let's be meek. God says we're truly blessed in these things. So countercultural, so different from what the culture sees as blessed. But let's be that. Let's be the church in that way. Um, I want to end with a, kind of a prayer sending. So would you stand? And I want to pray. Father, we are your children. Purchased by the blood of Jesus, co-heirs, ready for an inheritance. Excited to receive that. Until then, our hearts mourn, and but we know there's there's comfort here in this life. Uh, would you teach us to mourn? Teach us to mourn over our sin, and in that, that we would experience even more of your comfort. Teach us to be meek, to be gentle, to be humble. Uh, we know the power of the Holy Spirit, but may that, that power be in control. As we go, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to love you boldly, deeply, and also would you help us to hate our sin. May we love everyone around us, even those we might consider enemies. May we take every opportunity to help others understand that we are spiritually needy, we are poor, we need saving, and that you loved us first, you gave everything for us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the sweetness of being together. Would you send us out in power? In Jesus' name, amen. Grace, you are the church. Now in meekness, go be the church.